man, he's just so, he's so, so good. So um, we're going to kick off our Advent series uh, tonight. So we're heading into that Christmas season. Doesn't it feel early? Does anyone feel like, oh my gosh, it's here? Did anyone watch Christmas movies yet? Any Christmas movies? Okay, what'd you watch? The Christmas Vacation? Christmas Story? Joy of Christmas. Joy of Christmas? Don't know that one, but that sounds great. I like Joy and Christmas. Uh, what do we got? White Christmas. Okay, going with some classics here. Die Hard, yes. Spirited, is it any good? We were thinking about watching it. Okay, it got a thumbs up. All right, cool. Uh, does he Batman? Someone say Batman? Batman's definitely not a Christmas movie. That's just, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, oh, Fat Man, uh, there you go. Yes, uh, yes, okay, counts, counts. There is Santa. Uh, so we did, Home Alone, we did Home Alone this weekend, and then uh, just Chloe and I were in Evanston for something, and we went by the Home Alone house. That was cool, uh, so that, to just be in front of there, and so, so that was awesome. So yeah, it is that time of the year, and we're going to be kicking off a series here called The Promise uh, over the next couple weeks, and actually, this is the window into a, a much bigger series. We're going to be at a church over the next few months. I'm not sure how long it's going to take. We're going to be walking through the Gospel of Matthew together. For those of you who are around way, way back in ancient history, 2019, uh, we started the Gospel of Matthew. Actually, it was early 2020 we started it. And then COVID happened. It completely disrupted our plans. And it felt like we weren't supposed to let go of that. Like we were supposed to dive back into the Gospel of Matthew and just look at what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus through the lens of the Gospel of Matthew and what he has to say about the kingdom of God and what he values. And so, so we're going to take a long journey through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start right now uh, at Christmas time, kind of going through some of the stuff and, the, and how it's important to us. And so one of the reasons why we're doing that and why we're starting here with this particular idea is that it's so critically important that we see that the story of Jesus doesn't start in a vacuum. That what Jesus came to do and all that Jesus did, it has context. And that broader context is what God did in the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures and the promises that of, what, of one day a Messiah would come. And so when Jesus comes on the scene uh, in the Gospels and we start reading about him, it's not like it just kind of comes out of thin area. There's a rich history uh, and a lot of background to who Jesus is and what he did. And what Jesus is doing is fulfilling the promises of God in his life. And is still doing that today in us. And so what we celebrate at Christmas and then this Advent season or this season of appearing is the appearing of those promises of God in the person of Jesus. And if you've not been around our church, just so you know, I'm like the sappiest Christmas person. Uh, so it takes all the strength I can have to hold on. It's a Black Friday to not listen to Christmas music. Guys, and I was weak this year. I want to just confess I gave in. I gave in. I was working on this message earlier in the week, and I was like, you know what? It's not working without Christmas music. Boom. Did I hide it from my family? Yes, I did. Did I get in trouble when they found out? Yes, I did. But what we are celebrating here at Christmas is the coming of Jesus, the coming of the promise. And so when we dive into the Gospel of Matthew, the very first line on the very first page of the New Testament points us in the direction of thinking about all of this rich history. Here's what it says. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. Period. Actually, there's then a list there. It's not a period. It's actually a colon. So it goes into this genealogy. And you're like, wait, hold on. Um, this is not normally my devotional reading material. This isn't like inspirational Bible verses. Like normally when we see something about a genealogy, I don't know about you, but I tend to skip right over it. Any confessors in the room? You're like, there's a whole host of names here and I know five. The rest of them I can't pronounce. Like, and I, and I don't know anything about it. So most of the time we skip right over the genealogy, especially in the gospels. Cause we like, can we get to the fun baby Jesus stuff? You know? And so we skip right over this kind of stuff. But actually, in, the rea in reality, when you're reading your Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New, when you see a genealogy, it's actually a signpost. It's like a major stop sign at a fork in a road to say, hold on, pause here. There's something significant about what happened about this moment and about everything that's going to happen after this moment. So when we come to genealogies, by the way, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up if you skip them. It's okay. But just know that that's a point in the narrative, a point in the story to get you to pause and pay attention that something significant is about to happen. And so this very first line of the New Testament reveals this incredible promise of God, this genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of uh, Abraham. These aren't just names marking Jesus' physical lineage. Uh, genealogies are actually full of theology. They're telling a story about God, and they're telling a story specifically about Jesus. And here it mentions three things. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. And if you were reading this for the first time or hearing this read aloud or someone was reciting to, this you, to you, and you knew anything of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament... You would immediately pause whenever you would hear these names listed in association with this person, Jesus. And you would go, wait, hold on now. I know about the promise about the Messiah. And I know about this promise of King David. This promise that one day there would be a Messiah, an anointed one who would come to set his people free. And I know that there is a promise uh, of this of this this King David's son that would one day reign and rule on the throne forever and ever. And I know there's a promise that was given way back when to Abraham that through his seed, through his sons, through his family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so you're telling me that this story I'm about to read about this person, Jesus, is somehow related to all of that? And the answer is yes. And so someone reading that would go, okay, well then what were those promises? And it sets you up for reading the Gospels and like, how will these promises be fulfilled? What is the connection between this person, Jesus, and what these promises were in the Old, in the Old Testament? And actually, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus himself is the promise and the answer to the promise. He is the thing that the whole Old Testament has been looking forward to. And when he comes on the scene, it's like all the promises of God are being fulfilled in this person. That's the significance why of all of heaven erupts uh, when Jesus is born. It's why there are all kinds of signs and wonders surrounding the, 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 the story of Jesus and his birth. It's because it's such a significant event. It's the turning point in all of human history. And so today we're just going to look briefly at the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham. Jesus is the son of Abraham. The son, let's, talk, let's say, as the son of a specific kind of promise. And we're going we're gonna to frame this, that this is the promise of belonging and blessing. The promise of belonging and blessing. 
So let's, take a, let's go back a couple thousand years to the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We're going we're gonna to go back and then we're going to jump forward. You guys good? We're good? Ready for this journey? All right. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, later on he's called Abraham, by the way. Don't let that hang you up. Go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth, where'd it go, uh, will be blessed through you. This promise, this is the original promise to Abraham. This promise is kind of restated and clarified and added to a few times in the chapters after this. But it all kind of comes back to this point. And everything you need to know about the promise to Abraham is found right here in these verses. And if I had to sum it all up, what are these promises about? It's a promise of belonging and a, pro a, a promise of blessing. A belonging and blessing. Let's think about the, what it means to belong. Actually, right here in these verses, it has to do with place and people. Belonging has to do with place and people. And so God tells Abraham, look, I'm calling you out from where you live and from your family, and I'm going to send you to a place I am going to send you to go. I'm telling you to go. I'm going to take you to a place. And then he says, when you get to that place, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be best. I'm going to create a people for you, from you. I'm going to bless you with beyond compare. I'm going to create for you a, a, a huge extended family that will be a blessing to the whole earth. And really, the whole story, the whole rest of the Old Testament from this point forward, is all about Abraham's people and this specific place. Like every chapter throughout the rest of the Old Testament has to do with what's happening with the people that come from this family line and what happens in this place where God sends his people. It starts with him being sent there and landing in this place of promise and then him being promised a son. <clears throat> and, 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 this, and everything that's going to happen in the whole uh, nation of Israel all throughout the rest of the Old Testament actually almost happens in the life of Abraham. Because what we're going to see is that Abraham has been given this place of promise and this people. And that he's going to enjoy the blessings of God. Blessings, if we were to think about blessings, blessings simply mean to do for, that you wish someone well. That you want good to happen to a person. Blessing is a word that we use in the church world a lot. but uh, Or we kind of throw away as like, hey, God bless you. And we don't really think a whole lot of what it means. But in a most basic sense, we're wishing good for someone else. To bless someone is to wish good for them. To, or there, you can actually have the physical act of blessing, which means I actually do something good for someone. And so when God promises, hey, I want to give you this people and this place, and, and I want to bless you, and I want you to be a blessing through you, God's saying, I want to be good to you. That's like, for me, really good news that God would want to be good to someone. Like, if, can you imagine receiving that promise? Yes. There isn't a person on earth who's like, yeah, I wish God would be mean to me, Right? Like most of us think that God wants to be mean to us, but we're really hoping that God will be good to us. 
And what God is hoping is that when, like, he is good to us, that we will turn and that we will be good to others, that we will bring blessing to others so that we will be blessed and that we will turn around and do uh, and give away blessing. And this was God's heart for Abraham, that they would enjoy and extend God's blessing, enjoy and extend God's blessing. But the story of the Old Testament is basically how this family is a mixed bag of mostly bad (laughs) ways of enjoying God's favor in this place and his blessings. Right from the get-go, God makes this promise, and there is this sense of belief uh, in Abram and and, and his wife, but then it quickly spirals out of control because they believe that... They're too old in age, and they can't have children, uh, and, it, and it makes sense based off of kind of what they're able to see physically with their, with their eyes. And so they decide to take it upon themselves to actually abuse one of the servants in their household and create a baby with, with this woman. And from that moment forward, there is friction and tension in this land ever since they, they forward because what Abraham decided to do was take what God had promised him and decide to make it happen himself. That's bad news. That's always bad news. And that is the story that plays out through all the Old Testament. I would rather trust in myself than trust in God's ways to to produce what he wants in my life. So even if you fast forward a few generations, Israel has kind of been free, set free, and they're settling into their homeland, uh, and they're looking around, they're like, hey, we want a king like all the other countries. Sorry, Katie, if I'm stealing your thunder for next week. Uh, But we want a king like all the other countries. And, And God's like, hey... This is a bad idea for you to have a king. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to steal all your horses. He's going to steal your children. He's going to make you pay him lots of money. But if you want one, okay. And they're like, yes, please. And this is the story that happens over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. That people who have this sense of belonging, this this sense of I'm, I'm meant to be a part of this huge family of God. And I'm meant to be blessed and be a blessing continually reject that and find themselves on the, on the wrong side. And so this particular place and this particular people find themselves fighting over the land and fighting in the land. Some get it right, but most get it wrong. Few enjoy God's blessing and extend God's blessing. But at the end, by the time we close our Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, we're waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. When will it happen? When will we one day be able to live in the place as God promised? And when will we one day be able to be the people that God has promised? And when will one day we live in the blessing that God has promised and extend that blessing to other people? And that's not just like a a story of a particular people. It's actually our human story. The reality is those twin promises of belonging and blessing are still super important to us today. It's a, it's a universal human need to belong, to have a people and a place. I was thinking about this, you know, um, many of you probably had this experience. You've spent Thanksgiving somewhere that feels like your place with your people. And you know, you know that's the case because you can walk in, plop yourself down, and feel really comfortable to be yourself. You know, and sometimes it's not with, with immediate family. Sometimes it's with friends that feel like family. Where you can go and you can go into the fridge. You don't have to ask for permission. You know you can grab whatever you want out of the fridge. You know where the silverware and the utensils are. You know what I'm saying? You know where the secret bathroom is after Thanksgiving, far away in the corner of the house. 
That's when you know it's the people in the place, right? We all know what that feels like, and oftentimes, even if we don't have that, our hearts long for it, right? Because not everybody has that experience for all different kinds of reasons. Some of us don't have a people in a place. Some, some of us experience all kinds of brokenness, but there's something inside of us that longs to belong to something that's bigger than ourselves, to have a people and to have a place. And so many people are, are today trying to carve out for themselves a place of belonging and a people of belonging. Right now, we see this more, and in our culture, I think it's more prevalent anyway, the, the kind of tribalism that has kind of emerged in our culture. These are my people, right? It's, the truth is, it's always been there. When I, was a, when I was in like middle school, high school, it was like the skaters and the bikers, you know? Uh, and then there were other little factions, you know, but like, but it's just, it feels like there's more and more that what people are doing are finding themselves in more and more isolated pockets, trying to find their people and their place. I want someone to belong to. And there are all kinds of things that people do to try to find that, that people in that place. The, the all kinds of compromises that they'll make to, to, to fit in and, and belong because it's a human universal need to belong. To feel like I'm loved, I'm known, I'm seen. And I know when I see other people. That's a, that's a universal human need. And the, the need for blessing, good Lord. Like I said, who doesn't want to be blessed, right? There isn't a person here who's like, yeah, I would hate it if God blessed me, right? Like, and and we, we all want life to go well for us. We all want God to bless us. We all want God to bless those who we love. And whether or not we, we know it or not, we actually all want to extend blessing and not just enjoy blessing. There's actually, it built into us an innate sense of um, uh, a desire to be a blessing to other people. Now, for some of us, it, it, some of us have a real spirit of generosity. And so we have a strong desire, like it just comes easier. But even the most kind of like... Um, Ebenezer Scrooge, Scrooge people, right? The whole reason why that story exists is to teach us that we're actually made to give away blessing, that we're not meant to hoard it to ourselves, that we actually don't function properly, like that it's, it's like a cancer that eats us if we're not giving blessing away to other people. And so we all need that blessing. We all need to belong and we all desire to be blessed. So enter into Jesus. The first line of the New Testament. Jesus, the son of this promise of thousands of years ago. The son that's coming to bring belonging and the son that's coming to bring blessing. And we discover in the Gospels that that is exactly what Jesus did. The very first thing that Jesus begins to do as he starts his public in his ministry is to call people to come and follow. Come and follow me. Come and be with me and I will make you fishers of men. Basically, I'm inviting you into my family. This is really, really significant. Not come to a specific place, but come to me. So instead of the place being about a physical location, it becomes about a person. So the place of belonging is wherever Jesus is. That's awesome, guys. That's good news because it means wherever he is, we belong. 
And the way that people are formed, the way that in this particular family are not through biological brothers and sisters, but those who would come and follow Jesus. Actually, Jesus says some pretty harsh words at one, at one time. His, his biological family is looking for him. Jesus, where are you? What are you doing? And Jesus says, who are my brothers and my mothers and my sisters? Ah, it's only those who do the will of the Father. My family, the people who belong to me, my tribe, they're the people who do the will of the Father. They're the people who are following and care about the same things that I care about. They're the people who cleave to me. The promise to belong was here in the person of Jesus and not limited to a family line any longer. And so Jesus not only brings this, this promise of belonging, but he also brings this promise of blessing. Everywhere that Jesus goes... People are blessed if they are open to him blessing them. There are some people who aren't blessed by Jesus. There are people, if you want to kill someone, chances are you are not blessed by someone, right? Because there are people right from the get-go who want to murder Jesus, but everyone who is open to the blessing of Jesus, he blesses. Just by his very presence, this is just awesome. People touch the hem of his garment and they're healed. People spontaneously repent. Think about the tax collector. I will return everything I've ever taken, uh, like, erroneously, and I will give it back fourfold. Jesus doesn't even tell them to do that. That, like, their hearts are completely shifted just by being around Jesus. And then the, all, there's the obvious stuff. There's the physical healing where people are delivered from physical ailments. There's the spiritual deliverance of people who are living in spiritual bondage. They're the people who were excluded from the family of God, or excluded from being at, in public places and sitting at tables who Jesus welcomes. One of the most beautiful stories in the whole New Testament is the, is, uh, the woman who washes the feet, a woman of Ill, Ill repute, it seems, is washing the feet of Jesus with, with her hair. It's this amazing display. And actually, the Pharisees, the people who were being the know, the people who would know that promise of Abraham, you can't let her do that. How dare you do that? Do you know who's touching you right now? It's like, I know exactly who's touching me. This is my family. I'm so glad that that promise is extended to you and I. I love the promise uh, that it talks about in um, the, the way that Paul frames it. It's like, once we were enemies with God. We had no right to be a part of the thing that God is doing. But for Jesus, we get to be included in the thing that God is doing. And so Jesus welcomes people into this new family. And he tells them, hey, just as I was sent from the Father, I've been blessing you. I'm going to send you to go and do what I have been doing. You're going to enjoy my blessing and you're going to extend my blessing. Sound familiar? Right? This is exactly what that promise was way back when. And now Jesus picks it back up in his person. And so today, thousands of years later, that promise of Abraham is a promise that is made to you and is being fulfilled in this room right now. The very fact that you sang these songs to Jesus in this room and you shared this table of fellowship in the blood of Christ is promise fulfilled. One family one family. You are a part of the family of God. The Apostle Paul would reflect later about this as he is writing letters to the churches and he is trying to explain the significance of what Jesus has done. And in Galatians chapter 3, one of those letters, here's what he says. 
So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. That is loaded with good news. Let me break that down. If your faith is in Jesus, you belong to the family of God. It's that simple. If your faith is in Jesus, you belong to the family of God. It doesn't matter what your background is or your social status, the language that you speak, your gender. Those distinctions no longer matter. It doesn't mean that they don't exist. Like, we don't lose our gender, and we don't lose our language, and we don't lose our culture. It just means that those things don't keep you out of the family of God. It means that whatever your brokenness is, you have a place here if your faith is in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're high-born or low-born, of, of a lot of status or low status, a lot of education, no education, a lot of anxiety or no anxiety. Come on now, people. All the things that we think exclude us from the family of God, Jesus says, no, they don't. The promise is to us and to our generation and every generation thereafter. And the promise is filled in the coming of Jesus to say, hey, you belong in my tribe. The promise is for one huge family of God. It's here. And Paul said, you can have a part of it because, of, because God sent his son Jesus into the world. Our place is with Jesus and our people are Jesus' people. Our place is with Jesus, and our people are Jesus' people. Just as an aside, through every generation of church, Christians have found things to fight over and divide them. Hobby horse theological issues, political disagreements. Do we vote this way? Do we support this king? This, this has existed right from the beginning. But in every generation, the church's job is to figure out it's all about Jesus. It's all about the unity of coming around this table and this cracker. That says, this is my body that's broken for you. And this is my blood that was shed for you. And if you partake of this and you believe in what the significance of this means, then you have a place in the family of God. And every generation has to figure this out. We've got to figure this out too. We need to resist the tribalism and the fractioning that's happening right now in the world. We need to be the family of God that says, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I don't know about anything else, but I know I'm supposed to call you brother. I know I'm supposed to call you sister. I know I'm supposed to lay down my life for you. It happens everywhere across the globe. Oh, man. Can I, can I go after this? I have permission here. It happens more so when we're distracted 
from the ultimate purpose of the mission of God. Anytime we put things in the kingdoms of this world over his kingdom, things get backwards. And God wants his people sold out to the one who has promised. One Lord, one Savior, one King over all. So this, this idea of promise isn't just like a, uh, a, an interesting Christmas message. This is the salvation of the world, which God has entrusted to us to say, hey, you go and make disciples of all nations. It's better for you that I go. And when I go, I'm going to send you power, and then you will be my witnesses. This is the promise of Jesus to his people. You're going to go and show the world how to belong. Do you know one of the most incredible witnesses to the ancient world, to the Romans and the Greeks, was how social status got killed in the Christian circles. There are slaves worshiping with their masters. What now? There are people of ill repute worshiping in that house of that person, of that high social. Hold on now. What's happening over there? This got Christians in deep, deep trouble. And actually, what the Apostle Paul says, this is actually, when you see Christians and unity belonging to the family of God, it's as if we're proclaiming to the evil powers that be that Jesus is Lord. Go read the first two chapters of, of Ephesians, if you doubt me on this. It's so incredibly powerful. We're, we're telling the powers that be that Jesus is the king. And here's how you know. Look at all of the people bowing before him who have nothing in common but him. Oh, man, that's our future, guys. Every, every knee, every tribe and tongue bringing the best of their culture before Jesus, King Jesus. Bring the kings marching in before God. It's the promise back in Isaiah. It's the promise that we find at the end of Revelation of the whole earth bringing all of, all of it under the head of Jesus. It's just, oh man, I get excited about that. Paul also says not only that we have this belonging in Christ, but if it's true that we belong to Christ, then he says that we're heirs. And what it means to be an heir is that you get the inheritance. So here's what that means for you and I. If we are a part of the family of God, it means we get the inheritance of God. And I, I don't know, like, my, my mind can't fathom this, but God has unlimited resources. There is nothing he can't do. So what that means for, for you and I is that the resources of heaven are at our disposal to do the will of the Father. There's always going to be enough money to do what he wants to do. There's always going to be enough power to do what he wants to do. Like, it's, it's, just all, it's always there. And that belongs to us. What? I'm like, God, do you know? It's like, you're entrusting us, like, with a lot? I think, oh man, I think God is like, yeah, I'm not worried about you. I'm not worried about giving you too much. I'm worried about you not doing like what I've called you to do with what I've given you to do. I think that probably breaks the heart of God more. Like, man, like I've given you all the resources of heaven, like at your disposal. What are you doing with the blessing 
Like, what are you doing with the blessing that I've given you? What does that promise thousands of years ago have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. If your faith is in Jesus, you don't have to worry about your identity. You have a family. You are a son or daughter of the God of heaven. You are co-heirs with Christ. Jesus is your big brother. The, the, the New Testament is not shy about this. Go read Hebrews chapter 2. It talks about how Jesus is standing before the Father in heaven, and he has all those brothers and sisters, and the picture is he's presenting these brothers and sisters like, look what I've done for you, Dad. That's what he thinks about you. That's, that's, what, that's what his opinion of God. Look at, look at this, Father. Like, I gave my life for these guys. Some of you are like, oh, good. You know. But that should encourage us, right? That the Father in heaven thinks so much about us that he would send his own son to adopt us into the family of God. And so we don't ever have to wonder what's our place. Our place is at the king's table where he prepares a meal for us in the presence of our enemies. Where he says, hey, you watch how I take care of my kids in the middle of this junk. You watch how I do it. You watch how I set a table before them in the presence of, of their enemies. They're going to... Enemies, you're going to watch my kids be blessed. That's what that means. Oftentimes we take that to mean that like we have a lot of bad stuff happening around us, and that's true. But part of that context is we have enemies all around us, but we are feasting in front of our foes. That's good news. You belong. It doesn't matter what your background is, your mistakes it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how many victories you have, how much Bible you have memorized. It doesn't change your status in the kingdom of God. We're all seated at the big table. And he's like, I got enough. I got enough here for you. There's an incredible amount of freedom and joy that we can live with in peace when we're not fighting for our place at the table, or fighting for our place to belong. So many of the stories of the Old Testament are people fighting over what God has already promised. It's so silly. I think about my own life, guys. I'm, uh, in my own life, I, I don't, you've heard me talk about identity from here before for years and years and years. I'm just beginning to scratch the surface of what it means to be a son of the Father. Just over the last couple of weeks and praying for this office and some other areas of my life, I realized that I believe this lie that I have to get it perfect in order for God to bless me. That I have to do it just right. I got to get every detail right. And it's such a lie. And it's stealing the joy of sonship in my life. I love it when my kids come in and I can tell they're not trying to earn anything from me. They're just coming and plopping down on me because I'm dad. It's one of the greatest joys that I have as a father. And our heavenly father wants that from us every single day. Like We don't have to beg God for things. 
we don't have to get it just right so that he'll answer our prayers. I don't even know the kind of freedom that's on the other side of what I'm talking about right now. I don't even know. I, I, I don't even know. Uh, I, I wish I could put it into words for you. I, I'm hopeful. It's like I can see through, through this veil that on the other side of this is a free, joyful, peaceful, present chale that just needs to really believe that his son has accepted him and loves him and that he has a place at his table and he doesn't have to do anything to But I feel like I'm so, still so far from that. Anyone else identify with this? If not, hey, I want to learn from you. I want to learn. What does it look like? Uh, well, there are people in this room who need to learn from you. Guys, we need people in our church who are really free to act like they're free. Have you ever seen a little kid that just brings joy to the situation? I remember that remember that video of the of the little girl who marches in while her dad is like filming something for CNN. This happened, I think, earlier. I think this might have been pre-COVID. There's a there's a dad who's like reporting on something in uh, in North Korea or South Korea, uh, and he's got a news. The news is on, and it's a live thing. And all of a sudden, the door swings open. This little girl just comes marching in like she owns the joint. Do you remember this? I mean, I want that kind of freedom everywhere I go. Instead of feeling I have to earn my place, I have to justify my existence. And I know that there are people in our church family who have that level of freedom. And I'm going to tell you, we need you to be set free. We need you to walk around like you own the place. Dance and sing like you own the place. Because you do. So many of the problems that we have come from a lack of security, uh, a lack of belonging, an insecurity that we have. People trying to carve out their own identity through all kinds of stuff. It creates all kinds of codependency and relational problems and people justifying isolation and every other kind of thing under the sun. Man, I, want, I think God doesn't want that for us. God wants the best for his kids. So he wants us to walk in that freedom of belonging. He also wants us to walk in knowing that all of the blessings of heaven are at our disposal in Christ. All those promises are in Christ are yes and amen. That's great news. Jesus says over and over again, like, I, I feel like I'm all the time trying to be like, adjust my expectations. Don't get your hopes up too much. Jesus is like, no, hope more. Get your hopes higher. When the disciples are worried about what's going to happen when he leaves, he's like, hey, guys, don't stress. You're going to do greater stuff than I did. What? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand that, but that's the hope that we have. That's the blessing of knowing Jesus that he calls us into. I, I, I don't know about you, but I refuse to theologize my way out of what I know God's heart is, which is to live into that blessing. I'm not saying it won't be, that there won't be hardship and there won't be difficulty. There clearly is. Jesus promises as much. Hey, if you follow me, guess what? There will be trials and tribulations. Like, it's going to happen. But that doesn't mean it's not without blessing. And it doesn't mean that we're also not called more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. 
So I'm just going to refuse to let my experience and, like, and my fear of the unknown to, to, to weave its way into my, to my expectations and to my theology. I want my thinking to raise up to the level of God's thinking. What he says is that I belong and that I am blessed in Christ. That's what he says about you. You belong and you are blessed in Christ. Now I can say it up here and you could be like, yes. But how do we live into it? That's a whole other thing, right? How do we, how do we step into that, into that reality? And I wish I, I if, if I could tell you how to right now, as like in a closing illustration, I would be a bajillionaire. I would like sell more prayers of Jabez and everything, every other book that everyone has sold ever. If you know what prayer Jabez is, fine, forget I ever said it. But anyway, I would sell all kinds of books because everybody would be reading it and be like, yes, tell me how to live in belonging and blessing. But I don't. We put one foot in front of the other and try to live out the truth that we know is true. We call out to God and say, God, I know there's more, but I'm not there yet. So I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do. And if you want to join me, great. Maybe this is a colossal failure, okay? But right now, over the next four weeks, you're going to be flooded with more Christian images and more scripture and more songs about Jesus than you are the rest of the year. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try, try to take time to every time I hear a Christmas song to meditate on its meaning and to think about how this somehow speaks to the belonging and the blessing that I have in Christ. I'm going to pay attention in my readings and my scripture. So it's really, really simple. If you want to grow in this stuff, go on the Bible app. There are all sorts of Advent readings that you could do throughout the month of December, throughout the end of this month, and, the, and through the month of December. You just go download the Bible app, uh, and then you follow it, and then you just read it as a family. There are all kinds of things that will point you in the blessing. And I want you to think about this as like crumbs to help you to get to the end of the journey. And look for the crumbs that God has sprinkled for you around to discover your belonging and the blessing that's in Christ. Find that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to look throughout my reading in Scripture, uh, and I'm going to try to see how does this point me in the direction of growing into this thing that I know that's true. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the, all the music that I'm hearing. Now, some of you are like, I hate Christmas music. I'm going to turn it off. That's fine. God forgives you for that. Like, so it's, it's okay. Uh, so... Uh, and if you're like, hey, I absolutely hate Christmas music, text me, and I will send you, I, I, will, I will curate a Christmas song for you. Not write you one, but I will find one that you will like. You're like, I accept this challenge, you. I accept the challenge, too, that I just challenged myself. But that's, not, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to listen to this music. I'm going to take moments around my household. What the Bible says to do is to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So every time my mind strays, and somehow I forget that I belong to the Father of a heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that I belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords who can accomplish anything I can ask, think, or imagine, I'm going to say, that thought can't exist in my head anymore. And I'm going to go back to, what does this say? Oh yeah, I am an heir according to the promise that was given thousands of years ago. 
Do you know what it says in Hebrews? That all of those people, all those people who look forward to the day are, are, are like rejoicing that we get to see the promise that they had way back when. That is awesome. I know sometimes I feel like, man, if I had the Bible stories and I could see like, you know, waters parted and all that, it would be so much better. No. God says they were all waiting for what you have in Christ. So I'm going to take those thoughts captive. I'm going to make them obedient to Christ. And say, I'm not going to believe that. If I start to believe that somehow I have to, so one of the temptations often is like that I have to hoard blessing, that there might not be enough. I say, that's not true. I know there's more than enough. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away. So that's what I'm going to do. I'd invite you to do the same thing. How's that sound? Let's pray. Father, if we could only know the sonship that's ours, to be children of God who you delight in, if that's all we could do is to live into the promise that we have in you, you are our very great reward. Lord, if all we could do is that, I think you'd be pleased with your kids. I think you'd be delighted in giving them a place to belong. I think you'd be delighted in giving our, an upgrade to our thinking. So I ask, Lord, that you would work powerfully among us to rearrange and rework whatever you want to do in our hearts so that we actually live into the promise. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give a revelation this week for people as they're going about their day. Lord, I pray for just open minds and open hearts to receive what you have for them. And I pray, Jesus, that you will be revealed. Reveal yourself. Reveal yourself, Jesus. It's the one come to reveal the promise. Before we go, uh, if you have any prayer needs whatsoever, we would love an opportunity to pray for you. Our God is a healer. Our God is an encourager, and he would love to encourage you. He would love to heal you. Uh, Trish felt on the way here that might be somebody who's struggling with kind of a crippling level of anxiety. And so if that's you, then you just come see Trish. She would love to pray for you and encourage you in that. Uh, we'll have a couple people up here to pray. If not, God bless, and we'll see you next week. Love you guys.